right, Tom, Newcastle fans took a lot of joy in seeing that Eric Ten Hag would be sacked in the morning. Should he be? What a question to start. <laughs> well, we can go into the easy stuff. Should we fix Israel and Palestine first or, or should we go into the football? Yeah. yeah, we could do it. And climate change, which is ravaging. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, don't, I don't want to think about anything. Should Ten Hag be sacked in the morning? No, but I also... Well, he shouldn't, but I also don't think that this man is going to turn this around. And I think both things can be true. But then also it's like, if I don't think Ten Hag is going to turn this around, what's the point of prolonging it? But I think tonight was almost like a, almost like a final nail in the coffin. He said in the United program before the game that we are close to turning this around or I have full belief that we will turn this around and we will get back to our, our best. And then you see a half first half performance like that, and you're like, what? "Wow, it, th- th- that is about as bad." I mean, it's so hard to to uh, compare to to previous because there's been so many embarrassments, there's been so many bad performances. But considering the team that Newcastle put out tonight, they basically had yeah. about six left back, well, six fullbacks playing for them. Like yeah, and Matt Ritchie was all, all playing four of the back four were fullbacks. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then Matt Ritchie ahead of them, and, and they even had two fullbacks on the bench just for good measure. And we were outclassed by them. We were outfought by them. We were outthought by them. The quality in their team in comparison to us was like it looked like light years. The tactical game plan was looked like light years between the two times. It was awful yeah. in every single aspect. And then, and then that's why I kind of think Ten Hag isn't going to turn this around. But also, if we sack him, there's no solution. There's no one out there no. who's going to make this any better. So there's no point of sacking him. But then there's also well, no point of carrying on. So we're <laughs> literally stuck in purgatory. Yeah, let's just let's just give up. Yeah, check ourselves out the window. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was being tongue in cheek. I, I come to the same conclusion that I, it's. The club can't sack him. Clearly, they have to they have to double down on him right now. I and mean, we can't afford to sack him for a start because there's no money in the kitty to support a brand new manager. If there was someone miraculously that we wanted to pick, but you know, I, I didn't I didn't expect it to get to this point this season, having lost half our games. I think it's, it's eight defeats, isn't it? In I think it was half before tonight, and then now we're we're tipping in the wrong direction. I mean, it was already Amazing. bad enough, but yeah. Yeah, so I didn't expect it to get there here, and and it, the injury crisis has obviously obviously had a large impact, and it is the big mitigating factor. But and we've talked about it before. I just I don't see Ten Hag in this team. I don't. I can't understand why after eighteen months at the club he's not been able to to imprint Ten Hag. He said after the defeat against City, "No, I can't play the Ajax way. We're never going to play that way." because I haven't got the same players, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But we have spunked £400 million on players that he wanted. No? I mean, I and, and even if they're not his players, I think to other new managers, including their absolutely insufferable twat on the opposite bench tonight, Eddie Howe, mm-hmm. or Andrew Postacoglu, who is a proper decent bloke, uh, and they they were able to create a style for their team in much shorter periods of time. Yeah. So I and I just I just find it really hard to believe that even if you 
don't have faith in the players you've got that are not injured that you can't get them playing in the way you want it feels like he's just dumped all his principles all of them yeah there's there's no philosophy there's no style and i hate eddie howe as much as the next man but and i i don't want to give him any credit for what he's done but i think he needs a little bit of credit because you see the way that they play with the verve the intensity and and I, I don't think there's much to the tactics of Newcastle. They kind of, they're almost a bit like Atletico Madrid, aren't they? They kind of, they get in your face. Compact and break. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but like, why can't we be like that? It, it, that that's what Ten Hag got, spoke about in the summer about being a transition team, about it being intense. We've got nothing about us. Like there's nothing. There's nothing in an offensive perspective, like there's no patterns of play that we have. We, there's no defined style in any respect. There's no, and, and there's also no intensity. Yeah. I think the intensity is the worst thing about United this season. It's just, it's just so like, bleh, like that's how it <laughs> feels to watch them. And it also looks like that's how they feel on the pitch and getting outran and out for that is. That's the worst thing to be seen. And then that first goal where Dallow just literally half-heartedly jogging back. I said it on Twitter, like, yeah. if I saw one of my players at five aside doing that, I'd lose my, I lose my head. And I lost my head watching it tonight. It's like, it's, that is embarrassing. <laughs> that shouldn't be happening at, that was so at bad. professional football level. It should not. You, you see that and then you remember he's just been given a new five-year contract. And you're like, oh my God, we make the same mistakes over and over again as a club. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the thing that worries me most is uh, we, we, we got used to some of the poor performances from some of the players. We know the restrictions of some of these players. So Dallo, we know he loses focus, gets in the wrong position. Lindelof gets bullied. Maguire's slow. I mean, there was a hilarious moment in the second half. Second half, where it Callum Wilson out sprinted and Callum Wilson, whose legs are falling off, he, he's injured <laughs> so often. Um, and so, and 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 the and you can go right throughout the team. Like, do we know what Mason Mount is yet? Casemiro's legs have clearly gone. Uh, Hannibal's a walking red card. Absolute miracle he didn't get one because he absolutely slapped a Newcastle player after like three minutes after getting a booking. Anthony is, I was going to say he'd look expensive at 40 million. He'd probably look expensive at 20 million. There's just nothing mm. coming from him at all. Garnacho had one of those games where you go, okay, yeah, maybe giving him a few minutes off the bench at this stage of his development is the right thing because nothing was working out. I mean, Liveramento completely bossed him all game. And and so, like, we know the weaknesses of the players, but the thing that really has me worried is just how little of a team this really looks. And it just shouldn't be... The, I don't care that there's, you know, still five or six injuries or however many it is. Now, especially Martinez and Shaw, important players. I, I don't... Like, the rest of them should understand what it means to play for a Ten Hag team. So what is going on in training? I mean, there's, all, there's this kind of ongoing conversation I'd say or murmur from people around the game that he has them working really hard and it's a lot of physical work maybe but they're not working on like how to pass the ball to each other how to move into space how to do anything you'd expect of a top team and also if they're working hard then at least then surely they should start games fast they should surely be in an intense mode 
how can we start like that with s- such a such a lack of intensity if we are working hard in training and we're working intense then on the training pitch and maybe in in the warm-up like how can we start like that and you see Newcastle every single time they play like I said I don't want to give any credit to Eddie Howe but the way that they start out of the blocks should be the way that even if we can't pass the ball between us and we can't make five passes and we can't make five-yard passes at least run a bit like that's that's what pisses me off so much like even just going back to ollie ball like be compact in defense and then fasten the yeah sim, sim, no I, that's it that is the deeply worrying thing and it's a def- and it's a style a defined style we haven't got anything at the moment i was gonna say he's given up on his principles but maybe it's even worse than that maybe he's like decided that he his principles are like he can't he can't fulfill them because he hasn't got the players he wants right and so it's something else and he's chopping and changing systems and styles and personnel trying to find a solution uh, but it's it's clearly not working and i i don't think how how many games have we had now 15 16 is it 16 this season whatever it is i don't really think that many games into a season after united finished third and won a cup and got to a cup final it means that so, yeah. the dressing room should have gone and players stopped believing in him but clearly each week that United are losing or or scraping to narrow wins and not performing well confidence has to be dipping it has to be I mean you see it you kind of see it on the pitch don't you and that, yeah it's, it's deeply worrying and by the way I don't want to give Behedi Eddie any credit either because he spent the week bigging up how great a Saudi Arabia World Cup mm-hmm. would be. So, yeah, talking about grim things. So, yes, I, I will delight in the day that he fails. Yeah, that's uh, But before then, I'd really rather United succeed at something. And it just doesn't feel like it's it's going to happen. It almost feels like we've seen this film and we know how it ends. And it's the kind of doom spiral that every manager post-Ferguson has got into. And I, I really hope... Ten Hag can turn this around, and that one of one of the games yeah. coming up will provide the lift. But I kind of almost feel like I mean, who did we beat? We beat Copenhagen, and then a couple other teams, like one nil, one nil, Brentford, yeah. And you're like, okay, is this the moment? Is this the moment when they can get some confidence? And then they were just completely Brentford, annihilated yeah. by City. It's not even in it. And then today, just the, yeah, the lack of competitiveness. Mm. Just so, so yeah. bad. So, like, awful first goal, albeit a brilliant strike for the second goal. But then just never in it. This so tepid. Usually, for a League Cup game like this, the, the fourth round of the League Cup, I wouldn't really care. I wouldn't, like we've lost so many games at this round of the cup or the third round of the cup under Fergie, under all of our managers. I don't really care. But the fact we needed to win today, we really needed to turn it around. We needed to just get some belief in the way that Ten Hag does things. It feels like we have got a a real distinct lack of belief. Every single player, if you look around the way that we trudged off the field on, on Sunday after getting battered, you looked around at all the players and, to just shadows of themselves, like Rashford, Bruno even really had a bad game and looked just flustered. 
then you see Casemiro tonight and you think, oh, maybe he can get a, a good 90 minutes under his belt and get some belief back into his into his brain and go on Nacho. There's all these players that are just laugh, lacking confidence and I guess lacking belief in in, in the, the system, the philosophy, the uh, the process in, in, in Ten Hag. We need to win tonight to to just spring something back. Yeah, and then just seeing that first half performance, like I say, previous times we've lost to what? Coventry in this cup, I remember, and yeah. loads of other crap. And and it doesn't really matter because like everything else is is kind of ticking along or well or not ticking along. But th- it was su- it was such an important game tonight. And I also think that maybe he should have played a stronger team. He maybe should have played Bruno. Maybe he should have played Rashford from the start. I don't really know what you're getting by resting them. Actually, like players should be able to play two games in a week. Like Rashford has only been playing an hour anyway. Like maybe playing tonight against a, a half-baked Newcastle team who've got four four fullbacks at the back and try and get some more belief into the team, get a win under a belt, get a good performance in. And then, yeah, you never know. Things might start to look up. But you look back to, like you say, the two games that we did win, Copenhagen yeah. and Brentford, we were shitting them as well. Like, we, we, we were awful. And we were lucky to to get the wins. And you think, oh, maybe maybe these lucky wins will spark, these ugly wins will spark a little bit of belief in us. But even that isn't. And that's why, and and, and I know it's only, like you say, 30 yeah. games into the season, 15 games into the season. But there are no signs that this can turn around. Like, I, I, that sounds like really, like, really doomsday kind of, like, climate changey kind of language. But I can't see. I can't see where the change comes from. The players are playing terribly. There's uh, such a lack of quality. There's no style. There's no intensity. There doesn't seem to be any belief. Like, yeah. what is going to turn this around? And maybe in five or six games and five or six weeks, I'll, I'll look like a complete cretin. Fingers crossed, I will. But I just, I just don't see. I don't see where. I don't see where the change comes from. I really don't. I would love to look like a crane, but I remember saying in the summer, and I felt like a crane saying this, I felt when we were going through the transfer window, I said, I feel like Ten Hall could get sacked next season. And I felt like an absolute idiot after the show, like saying that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, did yeah. I really mean that? And now I feel like five, 15 games of the season, I was like, I'm proven wrong by my crane self in the summer. Proven right by the, yeah. my crane's like... And I think I, I kind of did foresee this coming because of the transfer window and all the shit that was hitting the fan with Greenwood and, and Sancho and everything. And it, it's kind of to be culminating in this mess where we're in this dead end position where we have a manager who we can't pay off who we've given a transfer kitty of 400 million to do whatever he wants with. And now there's no solution. There's no one out there who's going to come in and save us. And I'm thinking, can we get Ralph Ranyet back in? <laughs> Oh, well, he's doing a good job at Austria, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He can come back in and go, yeah, we need to change 10 players. I mean, the the thing is, there is no other option than it has to come from the coach who has to get more out of these players. Uh, Because, uh, I mean, sure, firing the manager and getting someone else in a kind of desperate move, uh, there's not going to be some major investment coming in January. Not with United's FFP position, unless and less and less, uh, Ratcliffe comes in and uh, 
injects. I can't remember what you're allowed. Is it 105 million of equity? Something like that. I mean, it's, it's made more difficult with the UEFA squad cost uh, rule. I think he could inject equity in the Premier League rules. It's harder with UEFA, but there's like there's really no options other than Ten Hag on the training field and the players with the doctor getting themselves fit and getting the team that Ten Hag wants out there more often than not, and getting them to play in the way that he wants. But you get caught in this doom loop, don't you? And like every manager, I think I think we're. I think the doom loop is a really good point. I think that's what we are stuck in. I think that really rubs into the player's psychology as well. That the players, especially the ones who have been here five or six years and have been through this cycle of new manager after new manager after new manager, psychologically, I feel that they're coming to that point where they think, okay, we've got to this point where it's not working again and we'll get rid of the manager. And we don't really have to try it, tra- try and train him because we know in four or five games time that this, this guy will be gone. But it can't really be like that. But I imagine that's just maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously. But I think they're probably thinking, I, I am, I, I don't know for sure, yeah. but it just feels like that. It just feels like they're, they're not giving everything for, for the manager because they almost feel like this is, it's going to end. But, Whereas that, whereas obviously under Ferguson, that would have never happened because they would have never switched off thinking that, oh yeah, this manager is not going to be here. But now we're in this doom cycle of, of sacking a manager every two years or however long it is, two, three years. And as soon as things got, start to go badly, yeah. we, for whatever reason, I guess in many reasons, we can't be patient because we're Man United. But we haven't got the patience to just go through that turmoil and those 10, 15, 20 games mm-hmm. and, and then of, of absolute turgid horrendousness and go back up. And the players probably know that as well. And it's like, well, we've seen, we've seen this story before. We're going to, going to ride it out, get a new manager in, in December. And then, yeah, we'll start again and go through the cycle again. <laughs> I was just looking at the fixture list and like, where's the relief coming from? I mean, away at Fulham at the weekend, that could definitely go wrong. Away at Copenhagen is yeah. existential. Have to win. Just absolutely have to. Luton, okay. Can we say it's probably a sin? I mean, it it's should really be. just be <laughs> Sheffield United. They've got one Everton point. away, Galatasaray away, Newcastle away. I know, and everyone else is like sticking them every week. Chelsea, Bournemouth, Bayern Munich, away at Liverpool, away at West Ham, home to Villa and away to Forest to close out the year. I mean, there's definitely some winnables in there, but you know, you don't feel confident in anything. But but the point I really want to make is, like, why is that? Another 15 games or something before Christmas. If we've lost another eight by Christmas, Ten Hag's fucked. It would be terminal, wouldn't it? We can look at this as logically as, as we want. But if things, if we just keep losing, the fans will turn. The fans at the ground would really turn. Like it's already, it, it can already get hostile enough. Yeah, exactly. And and it has been toxic and hostile this season already in a lot of games. Like three or four performances and three or four results like tonight 
it, it it will be terminal because that's because when it gets to the point when the, the Old Trafford is like is completely turned, there's no way back. There is no way back, and there's also no way for the the mm. board to just go. Oh, can we sit this out a bit longer? Because they're fucking cowards as well. And I'm not saying that if we should get rid of, we shouldn't get rid of Ten Hag in three or four games if we keep performing like this. But it will basically get to a point where there is no, there's no option. Yes. Oh yeah. Let's hope it picks up before that happens. No, no, I know, I know. But I mean, it's just, it just seems to happen over and over again at this club. Yeah. Director of football. I think this summer just gone. It feels a bit, a bit weird, right? So, and you know, I know I made fun of Anthony earlier. That was clearly United going right at the end of the window, desperate after the Brighton and, and uh, Brentford games, way, way, way overpaying, clearly. So maybe there's some mitigation on the fee, but it's the player he wanted, Ten Hag really wanted. And then this summer just gone, they're all his signings, basically, aren't they? I mean, for whatever reason, he desperately wanted Mason Mount. Mm. Not seeing it yet. And, you know, nothing against the guy. Yeah. He seems seems all right, doesn't he? I don't... No agendas here. Just, I'm like, I'm wondering what the point is. And Andrea Nana, it's a big choice there to, to drop Dave, who had been crap for quite a long time. <laughs> so a, a change was needed. But, again, as Ten Hag's choice. That's the one he wanted. So that's... Still jury out on that one, isn't it? And and the others, it's very much his squad now. And that's why the pressure is amped up. I did, I did feel that there was a... I didn't think United would go backwards like this as a team. I, I, I just I thought there were more options. But I thought there was a, a big chance that United would go backwards in terms of their league table positioning just because it looked like it would be very competitive. You know, uh, Arsenal... City, obviously the two best sides in the in the division. I figured Liverpool would come back into it. And Newcastle, super competitive. Wasn't really counting on Spurs post-Kane being so good. We'll see whether that lasts or not. And I, I suspect I, I thought that, that Pochettino at Chelsea with all those players might do okay. more. But yeah, the, the absolute disintegration of the the team... Even with all injuries, is pretty shocking. This was always the problem with, well, I guess the Glazer ownership has sparked this. But I remember saying back when we were looking at Ten Hag or Pochettino or looking at a new manager post Ranić, I said that we need a manager almost like Simeone to to come into the club and do everything on his own because the scouting system system's so bad, the recruitment's so bad, the football inside of the business is so bad. We need someone to come in and, and take control of all of that. And Ten Hag literally has. So I kind of got my wish in that respect because he literally has done everything. The problem is when you do give someone that full control and they don't actually succeed at what they're doing. And maybe he yeah. has kind of spread himself too thin, really, because maybe he has tried to do absolutely everything and he's had to take his eye off the ball in terms of a tactical... Well, I don't really, I don't really buy that argument, even as I'm saying it. But the, this all obviously comes back to the problem with the Glazer ownership because Ten Hag has had to do every single thing. And this is the problem with the way that we appoint managers and the way that we recruit is that 
you look at someone like a Brighton, for example, or, or a, a club that is properly run, like a Porto or a Benfica, they recruit players for a system which is going to last and last. And when you sack the manager or when you, the manager leaves the club, then you've got a manager who comes in and plays exactly the same yeah. style. What we've had to do is find a manager who will do everything because the football side of this club is so bad that if that doesn't succeed, which it isn't, we are in this position where we've given everything to Ten Hag. It's not working. Now we're going to have to rip everything up again and give a new manager a go. And because the footballing side of the system is yeah. still not improved because we've not, we've not been able to, and maybe it will under Ratcliffe, but I mean, I'm not holding my breath and we will talk about that later anyway. Then it's just, it's just going to go around in this system. And that's what's the problem with United. Like we've had 10, uh, we've had Van Hart, we've had Moyes, we've had Van Hart, yeah. we've had Mourinho, we've had Oli Solskjaer and none of them in, and now we've had Ten Hag and none of them follow suit and none of them are the same and none of them follow us a, a same system. And it's, it, Gary Neville was criticised by quite a lot of people for his comments on Sunday and saying this is a Glazer ownership problem. And Carragher was saying, oh, that's kind of nonsense and all that. But he is right. He is fundamentally right. Ten Hag is also, also doesn't, he can't get away from this scot-free and the players can't get away from this scot-free because they were an absolute disgrace and I know yeah. been a disgrace all season. But it does come back to the, the ownership of the club and nothing, nothing improves without the footballing side of the whole football yeah. club. Well, we're going to talk, uh, do a bit of Becker's content after this and talk about what the to-do list might look like for Ratcliffe's sporting project. But we'll, uh, I mean, I have my doubts about the sustainability of this model, but I mean, just, just briefly, if it's, if the deal goes through, it looks like there will be a new, sporting committee structure and probably Ratcliffe is going to bring his own people in both be a managing director of the football side of the business and have a two-to-one voting um waiting on football decisions I think it's unsustainable that but we'll we'll see but maybe maybe that will create some or or remove this function because clearly clearly there is there's no there's not really any long-term thinking uh, at this club. There's not really any about what comes next, like day two, uh, in in the way that most elite clubs are constantly thinking about both about squad management, and the contract situations, and who to bring in at the right time, and also what the right balance of power is with the manager. Like, you know, are you going to force players on a manager who doesn't want them? Or are you going to give it all to the manager and just, I don't know, execute on it, pushing around paper? And, and we don't seem to have got the value of team approach. Uh, and, and United, like, it's no, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a surprise that United gets such a poor hit rate on transfers. Whereas, if you go look at down the road at Liverpool, it hit rate. Yeah, incredibly, just mm-hmm. incredible amounts of success. Um, with transfer as well. I was going to say, even if even the people who don't look like they're going to succeed, like Nunes end up succeeding. Yeah, and I definitely don't want to praise City or uh, Liverpool too much here. But, uh, I mean, it's not even this radical, right? I think the structure that is being proposed as part of this partial takeover is just a pretty normal 
like football sporting structure the weird thing is you'll still have a majority shareholder that presumably can veto all of that at some point anyway it's just it's just very very weird to have like a committee for one part of a business owned by a majority you wouldn't get it in any other realm of business it's very odd so that's that's why i have some doubts about whether this could work but that's me with the consultant's hat on going yeah yeah no i don't like the look of that from a footballing perspective mm-hmm. maybe maybe we can get some longer term thinking in maybe we can like someone should have said to Ten Hag, no, we're not going to pay 100 million euros for Anthony. Or Casemiro, 31, looks like his legs are going. Should we pay 60 million for him? Or Mason Mount, pretty much played in exactly the same position Bruno plays in. Maybe we don't need to spunk 60 million on a Bruno reserve. Any of this? I don't know. And also, like before that, like signing someone yeah. like Sancho to play in the United team, who's such a uh, a, a assistant player, and then signing, yeah, Anthony the next season, who's a complete chaos merchant. Like this, this just from manager to manager, there's just no joined up thinking. And and like you say, it isn't radical. Like there's a Hungarian team, Ferenc Saros, who've been doing this for about ten years. That's a Hungarian league where no one watches it. Like this, just like you say, it's not radical. Yeah, it's just what proper football clubs do, and we've not been doing it. It's just it's embarrassing, and yeah, nights like tonight are yeah a reason for it. They say like this this that kind of thing is supposed to be cathartic, but I think I think it just makes me matter. And and. (laughs) <laughs> big shout out to everyone listening to this by the way because you are you must be such a masochist or every single one of you maybe watching, watching yeah. that and then listen to us moan maybe you get you find some catharsis from it but oh my gosh these are the these are the dark days okay we've got a game at the weekend away at fulham i don't know i don't yeah i just, i just can't You'd think, I mean, Fulham, who had not some starts to the season, finished last season, you know, they actually felt like they were moving forward under Marco Silva, um, who had uh, become a bit of a meme of a manager, um, probably not of his own doing, but if you go in season, haven't they? Although they have lost less few, you know. Hey. <laughs> uh, and they lost Mitrovic, to be fair. Like, and they lost, yeah, yeah, they did, they, they sold Mitrovic. Craven Cottage, three quarters of it will be well up for it. The other quarter will be tourists. The Fulham fans are very unhappy about how they're structuring the pricing. It's, uh, it's everyone's favourite club to go to when you're a tourist. Do they still uh, have that neutral stand? They used to have that, I think last time I went there, they had a neutral stand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, they might do. They've got a the brand new stand, which does look very nice. I mean, it is yeah. a picturesque setting right on the river. Mm, but, yes... This is, I'm not looking forward to this one. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you should go, okay, Fulham, pretty average. This is exactly what we need to get back into a rhythm. You know, Casemiro got 45 minutes under his belt today. Reguillon got some time. Aaron Wampazaka got some time. Mason Mount got some minutes, you know, like they all got a few minutes. Getting back towards, towards a, a fit squad. All I can see in front of my eyes as I listen to you speak it's just the talk shows, the radio shows, the memes, Twitter, Instagram. Are just 
and it's just full of everyone laughing at United after we lose again to Fulham. Uh, that's all I can see in the, in my future because it just feels like that. This is this the constant with United right now. That it's just hilarity at the way that we're just our awfulness, and I just I don't know. I can't see us winning. I can't see us winning that game, and I can I can see us winning. I can't I can see us losing, and I can see my yeah my Twitter feed on my phone just being full of these. United trolls and United memes and then people asking me, oh, is it time to sack Ten Hag yet? And, oh, man, you can't get away from it. Banter accounts. And I- to be fair, I started the show with that. So, <laughs> I know. But no, but it's it's because, yeah, because we're in this, this end point where it feels like, yeah, these are the end times for the, for the, for the Ten Hag reign. And yeah, on paper, we should, be beating Fulham but there's no confidence in this team there's a lack of ability there's a lack of belief there's all the stuff that we've already talked about how that transpires and changes before the weekend I don't know and like you say Fulham aren't a great team they've they lost their best player in the summer they've had some all right results they've had some poor results they've not kicked on they should be a team that we beat but I, I, I don't know I'm in such after tonight I, I can't I can't even drum up an ounce of positivity to think we might even win on Saturday. I think we might get a I think we might get a draw. I think a draw might be something that's definitely capable of our, of us doing and, and something that might actually realistically happen. <laughs> Are we capable of that? I think we're capable I mean- maybe. The, the one thing you'd say is that Fulham uh, are one of the few teams in the division that actually score fewer goals than United. So there's that. Mm-hmm. At least we're not going to. Uh, a, a so we should out XG them at least. But I think I feel like the I feel like the uh, the tepid and the the neutral and the boring atmosphere of Craven Cottage will also play into their hands because it won't even do, won't even have anything to rouse us. They'll just start in this kind of slumber. Like we did tonight, and mm. just slumber our way through like a little sloth, sloth of a football team. That's what we are. Well, it does feel like that. I did, talking about memes, like can 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 any meme creators out there? Can you at least make it interesting? Like fucking Domino's Pizza going. Oh, sorry, our our pizzas are late tonight because we're struggling to get through all the oh United fans' tears. I mean, the standard of banter. Fuck off. In the bin with you. It, At least be funny. It's awful. I have to watch that shit, you know. It's awful. The blue tickers have just... An absolute disgrace. <laughs> yes. This has been a cheery show. Yeah, I keep vowing to stop using Twitter and I'm still on there. I, I have to stop myself doom scrolling for a start. It, like That's just, just scrolling through because, like, the world is awful right now. And uh, I had to look it up for reasons but there are 32 active conflicts in the world at the moment ranging from you know terrorist organizations trying to take over parts of countries to war in the middle east to the invasion of ukraine to you know all of this is fucking awful and for one reason or another even though i only follow football people it's still 50 percent of my timeline is absolute doom and existential doom and gloom it's just horrible and then, you know, 25% of the rest are 
banter accounts taking the piss out of United. <laughs> and then everything else is United fans, like, with their head in their hands going, oh, my God, this is the worst. And you can't even go outside to get away from it because the weather is just reminding you that climate change is on the horizon and that we're going to be living in a world that's on fire and a world that's just full of extreme weather and a, a world that's probably not going to be hit. <laughs> hospitable in about 50 years time so you can't even can't even get away from it and go from by going for a walk outside oh god what a world eh wow <laughs> wow r.i.p this podcast we should just just blow it up all right hopefully unite surprise us and pull out a performance from nowhere and smash fulham and then wouldn't we all feel a bit better about it I feel better about it when you just said it then. I feel like, oh, that would really give me a lift. But, yeah, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe something dream will come true on Saturday. All right, let's leave this nonsense here. Backers, since we didn't do any content at the weekend, we're going to talk about what Jim Ratcliffe's sporting project might look like for the backers' content. Everyone else, um, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash nqatpod or nqatpod.com forward slash merch if you want mugs and beanies and that kind of stuff. Um, Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you soon. All right, backers, this is the backers bit. We're going to talk about... Jim Ratcliffe's sporting project. I mean, I, I guess it's still in the realms of speculation because we don't know exactly what this is going to look like. But uh, I guess we can read between the lines of some of the reporting. It's not been sealed, the deal. So I guess there's still negotiations on the dotting the I's and crossing the T's, even for large scale M&A. This is very slow, very slow and uh, yeah we're coming up on the one year anniversary in a a couple of weeks time aren't we of uh, the announcement of the strategic review wow what a year it's been yeah what a year magical yeah shit thinking about like the hope that we had about a year ago thinking that oh yeah maybe maybe just maybe because i didn't really have any skepticism that initially especially that the glazers didn't want to sell or the glazers only wanted a minority stake it felt uh, maybe i was being way too over optimistic and way too enthusiastic but it felt like yeah this is this is the turning point for united this is the point where we get rid of the glazers we get yeah uh, maybe well probably a dodgy billionaire thank god we didn't get qatar but we get a dodgy billionaire who yeah sorts out the football inside of things but yeah we're we're one year on and still not a, a resolution, but at least potentially having a glimmer of light on the horizon, potentially. Yeah. Well, so if you want to take a positive spin on this, it, from reading between the lines of the reporting, it looks like, as, as we mentioned on the main pod, that there is going to be some kind of seeding of control from Joel Glazer um, to Ratcliffe's team. Uh, in your sporting group who will control the football side of things you know as i said i have my doubts about exactly how that's structured and and the reason i have doubts is that Ratcliffe is not going to be majority shareholder of the business overall and so it's pretty unusual to give a minority shareholder some kind of uh, like board seats yeah 
for any kind of serious stake above sort of five or ten percent but actual control of significant parts of the business is very unusual model and clearly the contract is going to be have to be very very tight to allow it to be sustainable otherwise you get into a situation where joel and avram can just basically outvote them uh, and change the structure so so i imagine as we've talked about before like that's contractual and then there's some kind of pathway through call options for um ratcliffe buying more and more shares over the over the next few years and and uh you know, getting to a position where he's the majority shareholder and fully in control of the club, right? So let's just make that assumption. But um, reading between the lines of what the, the reporting says is that uh, there'll be this new sporting structure, Ratcliffe's in control, and then what we were going to talk about is what might, what might that look like? So at the moment we have Joel Glazer, chairman, Richard Arnold, CEO, Murta as the director of football... Andy O'Brien has his head of recruitment and Darren Fletcher is the technical director. I'm not sure anyone's quite sure what his job is. Um, and quite a substantial scouting network and team uh, and analytics department below Murta. And I guess that's the piece that Ratcliffe's going to look at. Yeah, the you kind of look at that structure and you think... We have, yeah, like you say, we have such an extensive scouting and analytical team. And we've obviously joked many times before on the show about like, what the hell do these guys do? But kind of go, going back to what I was speaking about on the, on the main pod, it's hard to figure out what exactly to do and what player to look for and what type of player to look for. Obviously, you can just go and go, yeah, this is a guy who's really good in this position, but you want a certain type of footballer, you want a certain type of personality to fit into the system that you have. And that's where everything needs to change. That's why where from the top, right from the top, there needs to be a a full strategy about a full 10 year, 20 year strategy about what United, they want United to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, what style of football do we really want to commit to? What type of manager do we want to commit to? What type of team do we want to be? It's like what City did to get Guardiola. They said, we're going to be the, we're going to play like the English Barcelona type thing. And it's what we've heard United kind of, I guess under Oli a little bit, we were going to go back to the, two wingers and we're going to play this exciting direct style of football is what Gary Neville always used to bang on about this United style of football. And that's great that mm-hmm. we kind of have a style that is kind of inherently man United and it's United's DNA. But the problem is, and like I said, we've spoke about this on the main show, we've spoken about this so many times before everyone's spoken about it. There's nothing, there's nothing at the moment we, we, jump from manager to manager we jump from style to style we buy contrasting personalities we try we buy contrasting footballers ones who are chaos merchants yeah. ones who can fit in a pattern of play and and have control and that's what that is the main thing that needs to come from get and, and it also needs to come from a hire who is going to set this foundation set this system and my i guess my problem i'm one of my things that I need to be skeptical 
I am skeptical about is that the Nice project under Ratcliffe hasn't been particularly successful. And that's what the scares me about right a little season, bit. But yeah, 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 they are doing better. Yeah, for sure. But that's what yeah scares me a little bit about Ratcliffe. But that's what needs to happen before anything. It needs to come from yeah. right from the top. If I wanted to feel positive about that, I'd say it's been a good learning ground. Lausanne, I've done nothing really. OGC Nice for difficult years. I think it's fair to say over promise, under delivered. But maybe they've made their mistakes there. If you're feeling positive about it, little sandbox, and now they're getting to a point where, (laughs) yeah, maybe maybe things are, yeah, there there, pat on the head, nice little niece, nice town though, very very nice part of the world, isn't it? South France, yeah, different different story altogether that one, but yes, maybe they made the mistakes, maybe they understand better what they're doing now, but the essential thing is clarity of vision, structure. Structure says who's got power and and authority to make decisions. The vision is like from the top down. What is this going to be like? How do we want to run the club so we have success on the pitch? And it's a clarity of who has power and like how much power does the sporting director have? How much power do the recruitment department have, or the CEO, or the manager in recruitment? if we're talking about supporting side and contract renewals and it's even with Murtar it's been pretty clear that we haven't had clarity of vision because in reality although Murtar is there everything has to go back to Joel Glazer and that has made recruitment really difficult and patchwork you know a mix of really expensive signings and loans and patching over gaps in the team versus really having a clear vision about what it is we want to achieve so I think that that's if top of my to-do list would be, yeah. How do we run this? Like everyone can be on the same page, and if in that ten hogs, like no, I want absolute veto, and the new partial owners are coming and saying no, that's not how it's going to work. Then, then it would be bye bye ten hog, right? So if if that um, if that if that clarity of vision comes in and ten hog can't live with it, then that's his problem really. But it seems to me that that's exactly what we need. And then you have to go execute well, of course. You know, you have to you know, do the right kind of due diligence on players so you don't get a player who, I don't know, beats up three of his girlfriends or goes on strike and won't train or, um, or even worse than that um, or can handle the pressure or, you know, exactly what they're going to give to the team. So, um, And in terms of personnel, there's obviously there's um, Jean-Claude Blanco, who, or Blanc, isn't it, who became the Ineos Group CEO, but he was at Juventus before that, and there's a lot of talk that he will have some kind of role at United. I don't know how true that is, but it would make a lot of sense, given his prominent position at Ineos uh, Sport. And then there's a lot of speculation about Paul Mitchell, who is uh, a Mancunian, I believe from the right side of the tracks, and available and has obviously done a lot of good stuff at a number of clubs around England and Europe. So maybe that'll be where we head. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point about Ten Hag and Ten Hag fitting into this into this system because if you look about look at the the current state of the team and the current system and the current f- footballing philosophy, there's nothing really there. 
So I guess in, in a way, in, in one hand, you could say that's actually a good thing because if we do create this vision, but the, the vision's not going to happen overnight, it's going to take a long, long time to come up with that and, and get the right pieces in place. But at least maybe the pragmatic side of Ten Hag can, can, uh, worm him, worm a different or mold himself to, to the way that United under Ratcliffe wants to look. But then on the other respect, it's like maybe we get a manager, we get rid of Ten Hag because Ten Hag's not going to fit into, to what we want to create. And we get a manager who will fit the style, the style of football, the footballing philosophy that we, we want. And that's what you see yeah. at a lot of footballing clubs like where the, the owners come in and, and get rid of their manager. Some, successfully some very unsuccessfully like we've seen at Birmingham over the past couple of days for a couple, couple yeah, of weeks yeah. where they got rid of Eustace and and hired Rooney and a lot of yeah this happens a lot where where chairmans do have 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 a say have a manager in mind for what they want to do but then that's yeah. also yeah bearing in mind that maybe Ten Hag's maybe not going to last much longer anyway to be honest but maybe he has to kind of last until this um, transition periods over. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the the noises coming out of the the Ratcliffe camp are that they like Ten Hag. There was someone they had looked at previously uh, for the Nice job, and uh, and they're supportive of him being the manager. Of course. Then the other question is, apart from the structural stuff, is can they find money somehow to support Ten Hag in the winter transfer window? Is there a, some kind of boost we can give to the team? I mean, like, if it hasn't closed by then, I don't, can't see anything bar loans, really, because United are going to be very, very high. They had paid down their revolving credit facility, but the last financials makes it look like it's really high again. And given that this is not the period where all their income comes in, it may even be at 300 million by the time the turn of the year. We owe about 300 million in transfers and it's 560 million in, in debt, primary debt. So, yeah, at some point soon we'll top a billion on, in debt. Let's ring the bell, you know. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff, folks. Billion in debt for the pleasure of having the Glazers. But, but can, could they do anything in the, in the winter transfer window? And I mean, it looks, even with an equity injection, it looks a little tough, but. That would be a, a big question. Can they give Ten Hag a boost? And what would that look like? Is it another striker? Is it someone to actually play right wing who can? Is it a defender? The, the problem is with, with what we've seen from loans. I mean, last year we were at a point where a couple of serviceable loanies with with Sabitzer and, and Veghorst could kind of just about prop up the squad because we were in a good position the belief was there we were yeah it, it felt like quite an optimistic place last summer and Casemiro's legs hadn't gone Ericsson could still run like Rashford was Rashford was on fire etc etc the problem is yeah. this year it's very different whereas there's so many holes when we've seen with signing someone like Amrabat who was a player who was readily available because maybe he's not good enough and we've not seen anything to disprove that so far. Trying to prop up this squad no. with low knees 
is a very different situation. It's a very different scenario. And we've seen again from, sorry to use Amrabat as an, as another example, but we've seen when we're trying to, to improve the squad with players who aren't quite good enough that we get a situation like this where a low knee yeah. isn't going to make this side any better. It isn't going to prop it up. It's not good enough and it's not what we need right now because we need so much more than oh, we need so so much more in so many different positions <laughs> yeah yeah well that'll be one of the big decisions but yes I think you're right another low knee is probably not going to be transformational Amrabat I, we're getting pretty much what I thought we'd get from him to be honest yes, yeah. Uh, yeah he's I mean at least at least they had the foresight to do that as a loan so they don't have to convert it to... I mean, it's quite an expensive loan fee, but they don't have to convert it to a... There's no obligation there. And no no triggers for an obligation either. So if they decide after the the year that he's not quite good enough, they can, they can dump him. We'll see. Maybe he'll improve. Maybe he's just still finding his feet. All right. Well, I was trying to think of some optimistic reasons. I mean, of course, the... The, the worst, the worst scenario would be that it drags on and it drags on and it drags on and they haven't sorted this out by Christmas in time for planning for January. And it's not clear who has control or what. And we still have the Glazers calling the shots in January and uh, we can go loan Vout Veghorst again. <laughs> scored, I think he scored. How's he doing, old Vout? I think he scored at the weekend. I, I look He's at his flash score. Yeah. I think he scored one goal. In seven, I think seven league games for half a nine. But to, to, go, to go on to that point, it and and to yeah to try and put a positive spin and an optimistic spin on what has been a yeah a really horrible <laughs> negative day or a negative week is that at least like there is kind of some glimmer of hope and there is a, some shining light in in the distance because what is worse than what is potentially going to happen with Ratcliffe and, and maybe, yeah, potentially not the greatest, it's not the ideal scenario, it's not a full sale, blah, blah, blah. But at least, like, something is being done because, I mean, in an alternative universe, we could literally have the Glazers for the next 15, 20 years and nothing will ever change and yeah. it will just become more and more decrepit and and, nothing, and there will be no glimmer of hope, there will be no optimism. Whereas at least, like, there is something that's being done to the footballing side of the business here. And we are, we are, and, and someone who has worked at a professional footballing team with experience and yeah, using hope, like maybe using that club as a sandpit to, yeah, to, to maybe transform United. At least that is potentially going to happen. Whereas, yeah, literally on an alternate, like I say, in an alternative universe, we could just be trudging on and on and on. So at least there is kind of some optimism. I'm skeptical about how optimistic I need to feel at the moment because it's hard to feel too optimistic about <laughs> anything at United. But at least there is something that's happening yeah. and a, a potential upside to this. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Backers. We appreciate your support. I hope you're enjoying the videos that we've been posting. Go and smash that subscribe button on YouTube. We can top the 500 or so watches we've got so far. <laughs> It's it's early days for this. I, I it only took six hundred and seventy five episodes of this show for us to join the twenty first century and <laughs> and let you lot see our beautiful faces. 
But yeah, anyway, we appreciate your support. Catch you again soon.